is uh has anybody had an opportunity to tell God's story in uh in part or full? Have you had an opportunity to use this at all? Anybody? Carolyn? Yeah? Yeah? Mickey? Did you? Good. Good. Well, that is our objective. Uh this is um really not really a Bible study. Um this is uh, a training session to enable you to be able to do something maybe you couldn't do before. Maybe you could do it, uh, but maybe you couldn't. And so if you, if you could, hopefully this is going to help you do it better. Uh, but what we want you to be able to do is tell the story of redemption. What is God's story uh, through the Bible? What is God doing? What is God going to do? What's the story of the scriptures? And then we want you to be able to connect that into your own story, which is what we're going to uh, hopefully focus on next week. Zane, you got your book? Okay. That's for tonight. So uh, that's that's kind of the objective that we're going to do. And uh, what I want us to do is I want us to do that together, okay? I want us to do that together. So instead of uh, um, just saying the uh, icons, the chapters together, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to hopefully that's just a memory tool for you. Does that make sense? Uh, the objective of this is not for you to be able to um, meet somebody at a family reunion and you get talking about spiritual things and. You say, you know, they're like, well, I'm kind of interested in that. And you're like, well, let me tell you something. Creation, fall, flood, problems, sexes, kings. You know, I mean, you know, you get to, you know, sure, second coming now. You know, what do you think? Do you want to, you know, I mean, that, that's really not the, uh, that's not the objective of this, okay? The objective of this is that those icons hopefully form a kind of a, a uh, an outline in your mind, okay? So that as you're thinking through, okay, how do I tell God's story? Then hopefully you're going to be, okay, where's uh, creation, right? All right, so, so you think creation, and then what might you say? What might you say? You might say what? Come on, help me. Yeah, God created the world in six days, and the first uh, couple was Adam and Eve, and, and uh, they, uh, they, they, everything was good, and they were in a garden paradise, right? And they were creating the image of God. I mean, you might, you might say something like that, right? And then you get creation, and then in your mind you go to the next chapter, which is what? Fall, right? And what might you say then um, in that category? You might say what? Sent into the world, right? And there was a serpent, and the serpent came to Eve and said, man, you know, Eve, man, God, I can't believe God won't let you eat of, of the trees in the garden. He's such a bad God. You know, he, he's holding back from, from you, and you can't trust him. And Eve's like, well, I think I can. He's like, no, you can't. And Eve says, well, he, he said we'd die. And Satan says, no, you won't die. And so Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband, and they ate it together, and, and they fell into sin, right? And then things got really bad. And, and, and what else happened? What else, what else happened after that? Things got really bad, and then how, how do we know the evidence of sin? What happened? Huh? Flood. Flood. Okay, yes, the flood, right. Okay, then so the next chapter is the flood, right? So, so, but in between that, though, you can even add things like Cain and Abel. You know, Cain kills Abel. Uh, chapter 5, what do we got? A whole bunch of death, right? <laughs> Guys live a long time, but they died. They died because of sin. And then in chapter 6, we got the flood, right? So there's a worldwide flood, and you might say something about Noah and uh, God saving Noah. Uh, and his family, by faith, Noah believed the word of God, and he trusted the word of God. He built an ark. He did what God said. Judgment came, wiped everything out. You know, you, you might even at that point in the story say, you know, I know a lot of people don't believe there's going to be judgment for sin, but you know what? It already happened. I mean, God already showed that he would He would destroy the entire earth, right, in, in, in a worldwide flood. And he's not going to do that again because, you know, he gave us the covenant that he'd never flood the world again. But he did tell us that judgment is coming. And then you go to the next one, right, which is what? Promises, right? And so what might we say under promises? We might say what? God appeared to Abraham, right? And he made Abraham this huge promise. Abraham was an old man. He had no children. God told him, you're going to have a descendant. 
and and your descendants are going to have descendants, and, and they're going to be as many as the stars of the uh, of the sky and the, and the sand of the sea, and, and you're going to have your own land. I'm, getting, I'm going to give to your family a promised land, and then through you, here's the first, you know, gospel here, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through this one family. How's God ever going to do that? Hey, we get more story to come, right? So, right, creation, fall, flood, promises, Exodus, right? So Abraham has uh, Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob and Esau, and Jacob and Esau, or J, I'm sorry, Jacob, not together. Jacob has 12 sons, right? And and the 11th son, Joseph, gets sold into slavery, and, and there's a famine in the land, and, and, and they have to flee to Egypt, and Joseph rescues them, and so there they're in Egypt, and and they're there for like 400 years, and, and they, they get put in slavery by the Egyptians, and then God raises up a guy named who? Moses. And Moses, uh, God, through Moses, uh, delivers them out of Egypt through 10 miraculous plagues, the 10th one being the Passover, which was a picture of, of again, the Messiah that would come, who would shed his blood for our sins. And, and, and Moses delivers them out of Egypt, and then they go toward the what? Promised land, right? But they don't make it to the promised land right away because they, they don't trust God, and so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they go back, and then Moses dies, and who takes over? Joshua. So Joshua takes them into the promised land, and, and they finally possess this land that God had promised. God keeps his promises, right? But then they they, they, they don't clean out the, the land like they, they're supposed to. They, the inhabitants of the land, they let them stay in there. They intermingle. Things get really bad. You got the book of Judges. It's a disaster, right? And so you got, all right, let's go again. So now you, and think about this. Whenever you get stuck, what do you do? Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings. Oh, yeah, there's a Samuel. He was a prophet, and, and, and the people wanted a king, and so he appointed a king for the people, and his name was Saul, right? And uh, Saul was not a very good king. He didn't do a very good job. And so God, you know, struck, you know, you're out, Saul, and, and God appointed who? David. And David was a good king. In fact, the rest of the Bible would talk about a coming king who would be in the line of David, who would be like David, who would be a good king. And then David had a son. His name was Solomon. And Solomon took over uh, the kingdom. And he was a wealthy and a wise king, but he didn't end very well. And his son, Rehoboam, made a big boo-boo and split the kingdom, right? And so now you got a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And, and then you have the ministries of Elijah and Elisha and, and the, the prophets. And, and then they, Israel keeps rebelling against God. God gives them chance after chance after chance after chance after chance until finally God sends them into exile. He sends the northern kingdom first and then the southern kingdom. And then he brings them back 70 years later through the ministry of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they begin to rebuild. And then all the minor prophets, they, you know, those are all finishing up. And then you have 400 years of silence, and now we begin today, right? Now, please understand, because some of you might just, what we just did, then you're like, oh, I can't do that. You don't have to do that, right? You can do something much shorter, right? You can say, well, God, creation, God created the world, you know, and everything that's in it. Fall, man sinned against God, right? But God still had a plan, because through the flood, the flood was next, and, and God God said the sin of man had spread, and, and, and God's wicked, God's uh, wrath would be against the wickedness. But then God had a plan through promises, and, and, he, and he told Abraham, through your family, I'm going to bless the world. And, and God delivered that family out of, the, out of Exodus and made them out of Egypt through the Exodus and made them a great nation. And uh, through many kings and prophets, God told this story. And then, now, that's a very much shorter version, right? You can go as long as you want, as short as you want, but but we want to be able to tell God's story. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to finish up, hopefully, today, 
and uh, we're going to start in the New Testament. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would equip us uh, to tell your story. Um, God, equip us to be able to think in terms of of your great plan of redemption uh, all through the Bible. Uh, Father, I pray that um, as we pick up our Bibles to tomorrow and, and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year, God, if you tarry, uh, God, we want to be able to, to fit what we're reading into your great story of redemption. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd teach us, that you'd instruct us, Lord, make this profitable, uh, make this um, make this effective, God, in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so where are we at? We finished kings and prophets, and so what is next? Incarnation. All right, and what does the word incarnation mean? Who wants to take a stab at that? What's that? Put on flesh. God became man. God put on flesh, okay? So God... God, the eternal God, puts on human flesh and is, is born of woman, of a virgin, and, and lives out his, his kingdom life, okay? So incarnation is, is the king is here, okay? God has put on flesh. God has come down. The coming king, the true prophet, the awaited Messiah, the blessing that Abraham talked about, right? So just imagine way back in Abraham's time, God promises Abraham through your family. I'm going to bless every family in the world. How's that? even possible how could that happen what could happen through this incredible move of god here where he steps out of the heavens and puts on human flesh and lives out a kingdom life and then is crucified and resurrected and coming again what we're going to be talking about here in a little bit okay i want us to start in in the book of matthew okay so if you would turn in your bibles to matthew how many of you ever started out reading in the new testament and uh, you started in the book of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament. And right away, you hit the genealogies and you about gave up, right? Have you, anybody ever, that ever happened to you? Uh, you know, it's like this guy was the father of this guy, 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 on and on and on we go, right? And uh, you, you start to think, man, how, how am I going to apply that to my life? You know, what am I supposed to obey about that? Well, I want you to pay attention to the genealogies, at least for tonight, okay? Because I think they're interesting in that, they are telling the story that we just told, okay? So you open up your New Testament, and you know what you find? You find Matthew telling this story, okay? And he's telling it through a genealogy, okay? Now, notice he starts with Abraham, okay? Now, Matthew starts with Abraham for a particular reason. He's writing to the Jews, okay? And so it makes sense to him that this thing starts with Abraham, right? Because Abraham was the one to whom the promises was given. So he's going to show that Jesus comes from Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, right? So he starts with Abraham. He says, Abraham, the father of, we know, we went through, right? Isaac, okay? Are you in it? Verse 2, you see it? Matthew 1, 2. And Isaac was the father of? Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and and his and his brothers and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Okay, remember how we talked last week? Why are some of those stories in the Old Testament? Why do you got this terrible story about Judah and uh, him stopping by the roadside and, and visiting a prostitute and ends up being his daughter-in-law who's mad at him because he um, withheld uh, the brother and her her opportunity to have a family and. And, and, and she has a son through that, that sexual union. Well, you can see right here. It's, it's right in the genealogy of Jesus, okay? And Tamar uh, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nishon, and Nishon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. There's another piece of the story. Remember Joshua? 
story of Joshua, you got right away as they're going into Jericho, you got the story of Rahab, the prostitute, who hides the spies and, and says, man, I want to align myself with the people of God by faith. She makes it in Hebrews, too. And Hebrews is telling the story. He includes Rahab, okay? Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. There's another piece of the story, okay? The book of Ruth, about this Moabite girl who, who, who aligns herself with, with Israel and won't leave her mother-in-law and goes back uh, to Israel and finds this great guy who, who, who takes her in and marries her, and they have this family, and she ends up being the father of, of, uh, uh, of Obed, and he's the father of Jesse, and Jesse's the father of King David. There you got David. So now you got Jesus coming through the kingly line. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. There you got the story of Bathsheba, right? Uh, he, he, that Matthew doesn't name Bathsheba. He says the wife of Uriah. We're talking about not hiding sin. You, know, you could just say Bathsheba and hope nobody remembered, but he doesn't. He says the wife of Uriah. You know, that wasn't David's wife. You know, it wasn't supposed to be David's wife. David, David uh, took somebody else's wife. And on and on, you know, and you go all the way down to Joseph, okay? So, so Matthew's going to trace the lineage of Jesus through Joseph, father, the, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called the Christ. Now, notice verse 17. Verse 17 is an interesting kind of God story verse because it says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of, to Babylon. Okay, that's part of the story. Remember the exile? Okay, remember? God, God says, finally, I've had enough. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, okay? It's actually from the southern kingdom when, when, when the, all the of Israel were taken into exile. Okay, that's what that's talking about, 14 generations. And then um, 14 generations from the deportation to, to Babylon to, to the Christ, 14 generations. So you got 14, 14, 14. So you got an interesting little bit of God's story there. Now, if you will, go to Luke, okay? Go to Luke. So Gospel of Luke chapter 3. I want to show you something. You have another genealogy in the Gospel of Luke, but it's different. Now, it's not wrong. It, it's, it's just you're going to find that it's different, okay? Um, it starts in verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son, okay? So he's going from Joseph, and he's going backwards here, the son of Levi, okay, da, 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 da. all the way he goes into verse 34. He makes it to Abraham, but then he keeps going. The son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sir, Lamech, Methuselah, Enoch, verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. He goes all the way back to Adam and even to God. Well, the Gospel of Luke is written to Gentiles, okay? It's written to non-Jews, all right? So Matthew, he writes his to Jews. He traces the genealogy to Abraham. Why? Because in the Jews' mind, all that matters is Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, okay? But if you're a Gentile, He's showing, hey, man, you guys are included here too. Jesus goes, he traces lineage all the way back to Adam, to the beginning, to, um, to the Son of God, Adam. So interesting little bits and pieces of God's story there. Was that interesting or am I the only one that thought that? I just thought, you know, we're telling God's story. Or either way, you open up your New Testament, you see God's story told in the genealogies. All right, so let's talk about incarnation though. Okay, so right away you open up your Bible and you've got this uh, genealogy showing how Jesus fits into God's story of redemption. Okay, then you've got an angel appearing to Mary. Okay, so Gabriel appears to Mary and uh, Gabriel tells her, you know, you're going to have a son. Uh, son's gonna be by the Holy Spirit, and uh, so you know Mary. Mary understands that, and then then the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. Okay, Joseph's just gonna put Mary away quietly. He thinks that Mary has 
uh, done something immoral, and uh, so he's a good man. He doesn't want to, you know, ruin a reputation. He doesn't, you know, he's just going to put her away quietly. A angel appears to him. No, Joseph, this is of God. You know, gives him instructions, and so Mary's pregnant. Uh, Joseph and Mary travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be taxed. That's in Luke 2, 1 through 7. Uh, so they, they end up in Bethlehem as would be fulfillment of Scripture. Okay, A lot of these things are fulfillments of Scripture. Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, not Nazareth, but Mary and Joseph are from Nazareth. Okay, So they happen to, 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 to go to be taxed, and they're in Bethlehem when she goes into labor. Uh, so the baby's born. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Angels announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds. Okay. Uh, in Luke 2, 21 through 38, Jesus is circumcised and he's presented at the temple. And uh, in that story, you find uh, several people prophesying about Jesus, about him being the son of God. A man named Simeon, a lady, a prophetess named Anna, who are in the temple. Uh, then you've got later on in the story, wise men coming uh, and visiting probably when Jesus was a little older, but they're, they're still in Bethlehem. So you got wise men visiting uh, after the visit, Herod gets word there's a flight to Egypt. So Mary and Joseph, Jesus pack up, fly to Egypt. Run, they don't fly, but they, they travel. Okay, travel to Egypt. Um, they, they, they stay there until an angel appears to Joseph, says, all right, it's safe. Uh, the guy that wants to kill Jesus is dead. So now you can go back to Nazareth. So Jesus goes back to Nazareth and actually grows up in Nazareth. Okay, so Jesus is from Galilee, which you could kind of think of as a region, and he's from Nazareth, which would be the city, okay? Uh, Jesus visits the temple at 12 years of age. You remember that story about Jesus? They go, uh, they visit there every year. They go when he's 12. Uh, they're looking for him. They lose him, okay? Where's Jesus? Uh, they go to the temple. They find him there interacting with the people in the temple, the religious leaders in the temple, um, so kind of a cool story. Uh, we don't know anything else really scripturally about Jesus' upbringing, okay? So that's basically incarnation. The king is coming. Uh, let me show you what I think is the coolest verse or passage of scripture in the, in the New Testament about Jesus' incarnation. I think it is Philippians chapter 2. That's just my opinion. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we get kind of a spiritual view of Jesus' incarnation, Okay. So beginning in verse 5, so Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was born in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, a couple things there. Jesus is born in the form of God, okay? Who though, I'm sorry, he, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be grasped. Jesus is fully divine. He is fully God. 100%. He's always been God. There's never been a time in the existence of, 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 of eternity that Jesus was not God, okay? Jesus exists in Trinity with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's Trinity, okay? Jesus is God the Son. And so what Philippians 2 is telling us, though, is he was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, okay? What does that mean? Did he let go of his godhood? No, we would say he let go of the privileges. That's what we would say. That's what I would say. The privileges of his divinity, okay? So in other words, uh, when you're God, what happens? Well, you're, you're, you're in heaven. You reign over all, right? You're, uh, there, there's all these privileges of, of your divinity. Jesus lets go of some of those, okay? Which that, that's a really hard thing for us to understand because we all want our rights, right? We feel like we, we have earned something or deserved something. We, we, we got to have it, okay? Jesus doesn't, doesn't consider equality. We've got a thing to be grasped. He lets go of that. He submits himself. He becomes man. He takes on human flesh, incarnation, okay? Look at verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, okay? So not 
only makes him, he, he becomes man. He's born uh, in, in human flesh, in all the weakness of human flesh. But now he's also born a servant. He becomes a servant. He takes on the role of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Philippians 2 is this great stair step down, right? Jesus exists in all eternity, in all the glory and majesty of God, okay? And he takes a step into humanity, way down. I don't know how you would illustrate that, like Grand Canyon down, right? Uh, like even further, universe down, right? All the way from heaven into human flesh to be born a baby and to... to Galilean peasants, all right? And not only that, but he takes the form of a servant. He takes the point, uh, the form of, 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 of sacrificing his own life to, to, to die for our sins, okay? So verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you got a great picture in Philippians, a theological picture of the incarnation, Okay? Key people in uh, the incarnation would be Jesus, Mary, Joseph. I, I put Simeon and Anna. Uh, it seems that they are key players there in kind of announcing his birth. Maybe the angels, shepherds, those are others you could say as well. Okay? All right, so incarnation. All right, let's go ahead and uh, run back through our chapters. Okay, ready? Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation and next would be kingdom okay so incarnation is jesus taking the step from heaven into human flesh okay to be born as a baby all right kingdom picks up with his ministry you guys remember what uh, john the baptist what jesus what were their first words as far as their ministry was concerned repent for what the kingdom of heaven is at hand right that's what John said uh, when he steps onto the scene. He comes preaching the kingdom of heaven. Jesus steps on the scene. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you've got, you've got kind of the forerunner, John. John the Baptist is the forerunner of the Messiah. He's proclaiming uh, the coming of Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. So he, pre he, he has a ministry of repentance and baptism. And then here comes Jesus, um, 30 years of age. He has a three-year ministry, and that three-year ministry is what we're going to call the kingdom. Now, do you guys, the reason we call it the kingdom, you can call it a lot of different things. The reason we, we call it the kingdom is, is because what we're trying to teach the kids on, on, Sunday, on Wednesday nights is, is that Jesus' earthly ministry is a picture of his kingship. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the first coming of the king, all right? And Jesus is living out kind of kind of the kingdom, uh, the, the ethics of the kingdom and the morality of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom and, and all that the kingdom is going to be, okay? Jesus is giving a, us a glimpse of that in his three-year ministry, okay? So you've got John coming, preaching the kingdom. You've got Jesus being baptized by John as is fitting or what that's what he said. Uh, we're going to do this because to fulfill all righteousness. You got Jesus immediately heading into the into the desert. That's Matthew four for his temptation. So Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Uh, Matthew four records four, uh, three distinct temptations. Uh, Jesus passing each one, and then uh, and quoting the word of God to to defeat those temptations. And then the devil leaves him, comes back at a, at a more advantageous time, and angels minister to him. So, so Jesus goes from there into his public ministry, okay? Uh, you're going to find his first miracle in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, Jesus turning water to wine. Um, kind of the next thing on the agenda. And by the way, I had a hard time. Kingdom was the hardest one for me 
because what do you include and what do you leave out? And it's not what do you include, it's what do you leave out in Jesus' public ministry. I mean, I, re- I had a really hard time with that. And so so this these are kind of the, the milestones that I saw, though, okay? So you got John the Baptist, you got his baptism, his temptation, his first miracle. You got the appointing of the 12 apostles, okay? And you have that, by the way, most of these scriptures... I just listed one, but you would have two or three, okay? There's four Gospels, right? So the, the, the earthly ministry of Jesus is going to be found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so for most of these, like, like Mark is not the only place that records the 12 apostles being appointed. It, it's in other books as well. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, or it's in Luke. Um, and John actually has a, a more extensive account of how kind of that stuff happened. Um, but but just for time's sake, I just gave you one there. So the 12 apostles are appointed. And then I, I gave you several examples of Jesus' power over sickness, okay? Now, let me let me show you why I listed the ones that I did. Um, instead of just listing a, an isolated incident like him healing the paralytic or um, something like that, I decided to give you kind of some summary ones. And so uh, Mark chapter 1. Uh, verse 29 says, immediately he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon, Andrew, and James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they, they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now listen to this. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick, oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit them to speak because they knew him. Okay, the other one I gave you is in uh, Matthew 15. Matthew 15, 29 through 31. Jesus went on from there, walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled, healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Okay, so the reason I chose those is they're just this generic bundle, right, of just, man, Jesus is just healing all these people. You'll find a lot of other stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of particular healings and that have a particular message behind it, okay? So, so Jesus has power over sickness, okay? He has power over nature, okay? Luke 5, you've got the, the passage where he, he tells uh, the disciples, you know, hey, or Peter, go back out, you know, let's go back out on the lake, throw your net over. Peter's like, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught anything, you don't know anything about fishing. Peter, Jesus is like, just do what I say. He throws it out, he has this great big catch of fish. Mark 4, he stills the storm. Mark, uh, Matthew 15, he walks on water. Um, Jesus' power over demons, okay? We could, again, lots of passages here, but Luke 4, Mark 5 are, are great ones. Mark 5 is of the, the Gerasene demoniac. It's one of my favorite passages, actually. I think it's a great picture of the gospel. You've got this unruly guy that nobody can handle. He's held by chains, and, and he cries out and cuts himself all night long. It's a great, great picture of sin, of the destruction of, of evil in humanity. And Jesus comes up. And then cast out the demons. They go into the pigs. The pigs run into the water. And then you got this guy sitting clothed in his right mind. I mean, this great transformation, you know. He's begging to go with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, no, you, you go back and tell everybody what you've done, okay? And then Jesus goes back across the lake. And then he comes back across the lake again. And guess what he finds? Huge crowds coming, you know, to hear it. Why? 
that guy did what he told him. He went and told everybody. You know, can you imagine that guy walking through town, you know, coming to the grocery store, you know, guy gets a shotgun out, you know, last time you came in here, you know, you destroyed the place, and now he's just, you know, completely healed. And so anyway, that's a that's a favorite one of mine. So Jesus has power over demons, okay? Jesus has power to forgive sin. I think Mark 2 is a great picture of that where Jesus heals the uh the, uh, the guy carried by the four friends, you know, a great picture of faith on their part. They're relentless to get to Jesus. They can't get in the door. The, the crowds are all over. So they go up on the roof. They tear off the roof. Lay, you know, bring the guy down. And here's this crippled guy. And what does Jesus say? Man, your sins are forgiven. Okay, yeah, but he's crippled, Jesus, right? He's crippled. But Jesus handles the big thing first, right? And then all the, the, the religious leaders get all cranky about that. Hey, you know, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, hey, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or say rise and get up and walk. Now, what he was saying by that is which is easier to see, okay? So which is easier to see? If you got a, if you got a crippled guy in here, is it easier for me to say, hey, your sins are forgiven? Well, he could say, well, great, but can you really see that? Well, no. But if he's crippled, okay, he's been that way all his life, and I say, hey, get up and walk, and he gets up and walk, there's a visible testimony that, indeed, my word, in this case, Jesus' word, right, is, is, is genuine and true. So great picture of Jesus' power over sin, okay? John 11, Jesus' power over death. You got Lazarus in the grave. Why is he in the grave? He got real sick, and they went to call Jesus. What does Jesus do? Hey, Lazarus is real sick, guys. We're going to wait here a little while. We're going to wait. We're going to wait a few days. Why are we going to wait? Well, he needs to die, you know? And Jesus lets him die, and then he gets there, and Mary and Martha crying. Jesus, I'm only going to been here. I'm only going to come earlier. And, and Jesus, take me to the tomb. They take him to the tomb. Roll the stone away. Jesus is going to stink. We can't roll it away. Roll it away. Rolls it away. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus raised the dead, okay? So I've got, I've got a, a cool little, uh, uh, it may not be cool. I think it is. But I was trying to think of ways to help you remember things about kingdom, okay? So here, here's a way to remember what's in, what's in kingdom, okay? Jesus has power over death, disease, demons, dangers, and debts. You like how I got all D's there, huh? I worked hard on that for you, okay? So Jesus has power over death, disease, demons, dangers, and debts. The, the one I had trouble with was dangers because what I'm trying to say is nature, right? When they're on the storm and they're all, ah, we're going to die, you know? Jesus stills the storm, you know? Okay, so Jesus has power over nature, okay? That's, um, so, so nature, uh, disease, death, demons, and debts would be your sins, right? Your, your, he has power over, over sin to forgive sin. Um, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's in John 6. And then you've got Jesus teaching, of course. You know, under kingdom, you've got all this teaching. Uh, probably the most famous sermon he preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's listed in several Gospels. I gave you the, the Matthew version, Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, the Gospel of John, you've got Jesus' I am statements, Okay. Um, these are really cool. Okay, so all through the Gospel of John, John's a very different Gospel, by the way, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar. They 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 all record similar stories, different perspective. Mark's the shortest. Mark's right to the point. Mark's an action Gospel. Matthew has a very much Jewish uh, tint to it. He's really speaking to the Jews. Luke very much to the Gentiles. John is, is a different kind of gospel. John picks out certain stories and he gives kind of the, the, the meaning behind the actions, right? So, so in other words, when John records the feeding of the 5,000, John records Jesus' words in a sermon, you know, that came with that, that I'm the bread of life, right? Um, so in John, you've got these I am statements. You've got in John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. Uh, John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. 
John 10, 14, I'm the good shepherd. John 11, 25, I'm the resurrection and life. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. John 15, 1, I'm the true vine. And then, I don't know whether most people consider this an I am statement or not, but I do. But in John 8, 58, let's, let's look at that one. I don't know that we have that one on the screen, Brian. But John 8, 58, Jesus is uh, talking to the Jews, and they're, they're accusing him of being a liar, and, and uh, that uh, he's, not, he's not for real. And in John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Okay? Now, when you just say, I am by itself, um, all the Jews pick up rocks, okay? The reason they do is because the divine name in the Old Testament is, is Yahweh. And then the best translation of Yahweh is I am or he is, uh, something like that. Do you remember when uh, Moses is, uh, uh, God reveals himself to Moses and Moses says, tell me your name. And, and God tells him, tell him I am sent you. Tell him Yahweh sent you, okay? So when Jesus says before Abraham was, so remember Abraham, Abraham was everything to the Jews, right? I mean, he's the guy through all the problems has come. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. What's he saying? He's, he's claiming divinity right there, okay? Divinity. And then you've got the rest of these great I am statements. I'm the bread of life, light of the world, good shepherd, resurrection of life, way truth and life, true vine. And with all those, you've got these great stories, okay? Uh, bread of life, you've got Jesus feeding 5,000, you know? And, and, and you got the, the people saying, well, yeah, but can you do what Moses did? Moses fed, fed the, the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, you know? They're just after a meal ticket, right? And, and Jesus is like, man, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the, I'm the true bread. I'm the, okay? Um, I'm the resurrection of life. Where's that come from? That's at, the, that's at the tomb of Lazarus, right? Jesus standing at the tomb. And, 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 he, and he tells Martha, hey, he'll, he'll rise again. And Martha's like, yeah, I know I'll rise in the resurrection. He says, I'm the resurrection. I am, me. Okay, so you got, John, you got these great pictures of, of Jesus' divinity. And then, of course, you got the parables. Okay, that's the last thing there. Uh, you got all the, the great parables in Jesus' ministry. Again, they're scattered everywhere. I gave you two chapters that have a concentration of parables in them. Uh, so Matthew 13 you have, uh, by the way, a parable is a an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I think that's a pretty good definition. But you got the parable of the sower. Uh, you've got um, the uh, the parable of the mustard seed and uh, the hidden treasure, pearl grape price, the net. And then in Luke, you have some really famous ones. Luke 15, you have the lost stuff. You got uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. So parables key people in this section would be jesus uh john the baptist 12 apostles i put mary and martha thought we should include those ladies they were pretty significant um but i mean we're talking about jesus earthly ministry so does everybody understand kingdom because oh, kingdom is jesus earthly ministry all right so you got incarnation god stepping out of the heavens becoming man putting on human flesh and then you've got the kingdom which is Jesus living out, okay, his kingship, his his power over death and disease and demons and dangers and debts. You got his teachings, his miracles, um, all that he did in his earthly ministry, okay? Now, after uh, kingdom, let's go ahead. Let's, let's go ahead and do it. Come on, let's do it. Ready? Creation, fall, flood, 
promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross. All right, we got the cross. Um, so with the cross, and, and again, you could do this a lot of different ways. By, by the way, you guys know through this whole thing, again, you could call these different things. Uh, you could call kingdom, you could call it his earthly ministry, um, incarnation, you could call it his birth, you know, you could include different scriptures. This is in no way like the definitive way to tell the story. I'm just trying to give you some handles. Okay. So, so where I started with the cross is the triumphal entry. Okay. So you got that in Matthew 21, you got Jesus entering into, uh, Jerusalem. A lot of people begin kind of with this as Holy week. If, if you, if you talk that way, um, um, so triumphal entry, you got a whole bunch of teachings in here that I did not include because again, we're focusing on the cross. Uh, you got Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, then you've got Jesus going from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, you've got, uh, Jesus betrayal by Judas and his, his arrest. Okay. Um, actually, if you go back to the upper room setting, you've got Jesus kind of revealing Judas as the betrayer. Okay. And you know. Go do what you have to do. And Judas takes off. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Judas comes there with the soldiers. Jesus betrays Jesus with a kiss, right? Uh, then you got the trial before Annas, and then before Caiaphas, and then before Pilate, and then before Herod, okay? And again, if you read any one gospel, you're not going to get all those, but you got to put all the gospels together to kind of get the chronology of that. So Jesus is kind of drug around. Uh, everywhere, Annas. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember. Annas is the father of Caiaphas. Is that correct? Who knows that? Is that right? Huh? Father-in-law. Father-in-law. Yeah. Okay. So you got you got him taking him to Annas, and then and then then Caiaphas, and then Pilate, and then Herod, and then Pilate uh, delivers Jesus over to be crucified. And then you have Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, I listed Matthew 27 again. All the uh, all the, the Gospels are going to talk about it. Uh, you've got the signs accompanying Jesus' death. Um, that's kind of interesting. Let's, let's read that. Not that it's all interesting, but let's, let's look at that. Matthew 27, 51 through 56. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Again, remember the, the, the curtain represented kind of the barrier between God and man. So you have the curtain being torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs were opened. Many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his, re after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with them, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and that took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this is the Son of God. There were also many women there looking from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Uh, yeah, Jesus' death. Um, I probably should have included Jesus. Uh, I don't know why I didn't. Um, the, the sayings from the cross. I, I, I wish I would have included those for you. Uh, but you have Jesus saying, uh, I thirst. You have him saying, um, it is finished. You have him saying, Father, forgive them for I have sinned. Uh, you have him saying to, uh, to John, uh, behold your mother. You know, he's taking care of his mother from the cross. Um, what am I missing? I'm missing something. Why, yeah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Says to the thief, the thief on the cross, today with me in, in paradise. Good, good. Um, so you have the sayings of the cross. Uh, Jesus is taken off the cross. 
Uh, John 19 talks about that. They did not have to break his legs as, as a, a prof, prophetic act of scripture. Um, no bone was broken. He was already dead. They broke the other thieves' legs. Um, Jesus was taken down off the tomb. He was buried in uh, a tomb by, by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, the tomb is closed, and it looks pretty dark. Okay, key people, Jesus, Peter, James, John, Pilate. I put Judas, not key in a good way, but key in a bad way. All right. Um, resurrection. Sorry, we got to go fast. I apologize. I want to finish tonight, and then next week we're going to do some review, and we're going to talk about telling God's story and telling the gospel story. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of, I want to finish it all this evening. Um, resurrection. What do we got here? Matthew 28 is where I, I started with this. And after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Uh, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled because and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he's risen. He said, Come see the place where he lay. So you've got uh, angel rolling back the stone from the tomb. You have the women finding the tomb empty. Uh, Jesus appears to Mary. They have a conversation in John 20, 11 through 18. Uh, Jesus appears on the Emmaus Road to uh, a couple disciples. Uh, they talk to him all day long, and they don't recognize him. It's kind of interesting to see Jesus' resurrection body because it's almost like um, uh, he disguises himself at sometimes and reveals himself, uh, but, it, but it is a resurrection body. Um, he, he later appears to the ten without... Uh, Thomas, and then he appears to the 11. I listed the 11 reference there. And in that reference, um, let, let, let's read that because that, that's kind of interesting. Just in terms of Jesus' resurrection body. John 20. John 20, 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Okay, now, it's interesting that they point out that the doors were locked. Uh, what, what we see there is that Jesus' resurrection body is not bound by things like walls and doors. He, he has a resurrection body, but it's, it's different than ours, right? You try to walk through the door, and you have a sore nose, okay? Jesus goes through the doors, are locked. He comes and stands among them and says, Peace be with you. Then Thomas, they said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my God, my Lord, and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those, this is you guys, by the way, who have not seen and have yet believed. And uh, there is a, um, a heresy out there that says that Jesus was just a spirit that uh, appeared, you know, in the form of 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 a man, uh, man, John just cuts that right out. I mean, Thomas is sticking his hand in the holes, all right? So this is, is a physical resurrected body. And uh, Paul will make a huge deal of that in 1 Corinthians 15 because it's very clear that we will have real bodies, that the resurrection is a real resurrection of our bodies. We're given new bodies, resurrection bodies like Jesus. Piers um, the eleven. Uh, he gives the Great Commission, gives this, uh, I, I picked Matthew 28, it's probably the most famous 
uh, you know, go therefore, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Guys, that's a commission on our lives. You know, Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, the king, could, death could not hold him. And he came back and, and, and he tells us, here's your mission. This is why I leave you here. You're, you're connected to me. You're my people. Now I leave you here to do this. Acts is, uh, I think, um, the ascension's in Luke too, but I like the one in Acts, so let's read that. In uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Um, Jesus' resurrection ascends into heaven. I don't know how you think about the ascension. Most of the time when, when they do it in Easter pageants, they put a guy on a wire, you know. And uh, this is kind of a bad thing about Easter pageants. You have this kind of stuff in your head, you know. And the guy is kind of, you know, floats real slowly, you know, into the clouds. I just don't picture it that way. I, I mean, I wasn't there. and We don't have any specifics, but it says, what does it say specifically? When it said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight, okay. cloud took him out of their sight. I'm not recommending this movie, but have you ever seen The Matrix, you know, which actually is a, is a gospel movie, if you didn't know that. Um, it's not about the gospel, I, it, but it's the whole thing has gospel references. It's, it's really weird. But anyway, the last scene, Neo, like, rockets into the air. Remember that? Remember that, that, that scene, you know? It's like a jet, like an F-16, you know? <sighs> that's the way I picture the ascension, by the way, okay? So it's like, he's like, go, all the world, make disciples. <sighs> no, that's the way I picture it. So anyway, sins into heaven. You think of it however you want. I don't care. Um, resurrection. Resurrection's exciting. All right, here we go. You're not tired of it. You want more. Ready? Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection, and now the church. All right, so in Acts chapter 1, if you're still there, it's a good place to be. We've got Jesus ascending into heaven, okay? And then we've got the disciples doing a couple things. They, they go back and they go into the into an upper room. They're all kind of together in one place. They're praying. They replace Judas uh, with a guy named Matthias. And then they're waiting. They're praying. And Jesus told them, go wait, pray till the Holy Spirit falls. In Acts chapter 2, we have what we call Pentecost. Okay, It's called Pentecost because it was the Feast of Pentecost. There was already a feast. There were a whole bunch of people from everywhere around the world gathered to Jerusalem. Okay, So you got this huge feast. And everybody's come from everywhere, pilgrims from all over to be at this feast. All kinds of Jews uh, had, had gathered together for the Jewish feast. So you got Jews from all over the world there. Okay. And the Holy Spirit falls on the, the, the church. Okay. Uh, verse five, in other words, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Uh, at the, well, no, no, let's back up. Wait, uh, sorry, sorry. Let's, let's start in verse one. 
uh, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together at one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them uh, utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, about men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And as and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own, own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. All right, so what's happening here? Holy Spirit falls on them, and they start sharing the, glor the, the glorious gospel, the mighty works of God, the story of Jesus, and they're sharing it with Egyptians in, e in, in Egyptian. And they're sharing it with Parthians in, what do Parthians speak? Parthi, I don't know. You know, they're sharing it in, you know, Pamphylians and, you know, whatever their language was, all right? But but they, notice this is this is a a real language, okay? And they're, they're, what they're saying is they're sharing the mighty works of God. So they're exalting God. They're exalting the gospel in the language of these people, okay? So the Holy Spirit falls. They speak the gospel, okay? Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others mocking, say they're all filled with new wine. Peter gets up and preaches a rousing sermon. It's basically this. God sent his son, and you killed him, okay? And you better repent and believe, because this is your opportunity of salvation. And a whole bunch of people get saved, okay? And verse 41, it says, 3,000 souls were added that day. Wow, huh? That's a good day, 3,000 souls. We haven't had that happen here, uh, not yet. Uh, but that's a good day. So church begins right there, okay? Now, when we're, again, when we're talking about church, we're, we're not talking about the walls of a building. We're talking about the people of God, uh, the, the ecclesia, the, the called out ones who are called into the world to live out the mission and the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So you got Holy Spirit falling at Pentecost. Now, I struggle with how to divide this up, okay? Because we're just going to go through the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts basically is your history book of the New Testament. And it tells the story from the, res from the ascension of Jesus all the way to the end of kind of the biblical era. All right, and so if you the Acts tell is the history book, okay? And here's the way I want to divide it up, okay? So the Holy Spirit falls on the Jews at Pentecost in Acts two, okay? And then when you turn to Acts eight, okay, you got you got persecution. Uh, Acts seven, by the way, Stephen dies. By the way, in Acts chapter seven, you've got a guy telling God's story, okay? Acts chapter seven. If we had time to read it, I don't think we do, but 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 look at it. If you're there in your Bibles. Um, let, let's just start to read it. We want to read the whole thing. It's really long. But uh, Stephen appears before the high priest and uh, the Sanhedrin. And Stephen says in verse 2, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into, into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others and who would enslave them. 
and afflict them for 400 years. He's telling the story, right? There's, you know, they're going to be in Egypt for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve. And, and God said that after that, they shall come out and worship me at this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of the 12 patriarchs. Jacob had 12 sons, 12 patriarchs. Verse 9, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. What's he doing? He's telling the story. You see that? And if you read that, he goes all through. He goes through Moses. He goes, you know, all the way into the wilderness, the golden calf, all the way to Joshua and, and David and Solomon. And, 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 and he tells the story of God. And then he gets done and he says, and you, you religious folks have always persecuted God's people. You know, and then they stone him and kill him, you know. And, uh, and then Jesus, you know, he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. So, all right, so there's great persecution that breaks out. So Jews are kind of uh, scattered, okay. And Philip proclaims, um, the gospel in Samaria. Okay, let's think back. What do we know about Samaria? How did Samaria come into existence? Huh? Yes, yes. Okay, so remember you had, you had a splitting, south and north, right? Right? Two tribes, and they all go into exile. And then when some of them come back, or some of them are left, and they, they intermarry with some of the uh, people of the land. And so, what's a nice way... Jack said mixed. What's a nice way to? Yeah, I, I was trying to think of something better, though. Um, they, in, a, in the Jewish mindset, they were not purebred Jews. Could we say that? <laughs> However you say it, it doesn't sound good, you know? But it was just this, there was this prejudice that it's very thick between the two, okay? And so you got, you got, you got the gospel coming in Jerusalem to the Jews and the Holy Spirit falling. In Acts 8, you've got Philip, the evangelist, going into Samaria, and he preaches the gospel there. And then Peter and John come, and they see what's happening in Samaria. And guess what happens? Holy Spirit falls in Samaria. Okay? Holy Spirit falls in Samaria. What's that mean? Confirmation that, guess what? This gospel is both for Jews and for Samaritans. Oh, by the way, stay with me here. Acts chapter 1, remember what Jesus said before he left? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay, so what happened in Acts 2? Holy Spirit falls in Jerusalem, right? The Jews. What happened in Acts 8? Holy Spirit falls in Samaria, right? And Peter and John are there to see it. It's important that Peter's there. That's going to come into play later. It's important that Peter sees that, okay? And then you got Acts chapter 10, okay? So, so the gospel's for the Jews. Woo! God's people. Gospel's for Samaritans. The Jews go, oh, okay, all right, I guess, I guess. They're, they're not purebred, but all right, all right. Acts chapter 10, you got this centurion, this Italian guy. He's not a Jew. He's not even a, he's not even half a Jew. He's not even Samaria. Okay, you got this Italian guy, this Gentile. Okay, and then and Peter has a vision. God tells him, "So he man, they're gonna knock on your door. You go with them. Do it." You know, he goes. He goes to to Cornelius's house. He he shares the gospel with Cornelius and in his household. Verse forty feet four. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. The, whoa! Just like it did in Jerusalem. Just like it did in Samaria. Now, okay. The gospel's for the Jews. Peter sees it. Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did us. Gospel's for the 
Samaritans. Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did us. And now the gospel's for the Gentiles. Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did us. The interesting thing about the whole speaking in tongues thing, the Holy Spirit falling, is, is it occurs in Acts 2 to the Jews. It occurs in Acts 8 to the Samaritans. In Acts 10 to the Gentiles. And then you have this odd... I don't know, different people look at this different ways, but it's in Acts 18. You got the, no, 19. You got these folks that are uh, still kind of Old Testament believers, I guess is what you would call them. They're, they're, they're folks that are still following John the Baptist. These were the guys that didn't have the internet. They didn't know what, you know, that uh, stuff had, had happened here. Okay, because they're, they're still following John John the Baptist. Uh says, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They said, no, we've not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. and You're baptized into John's baptism. Anyway, Holy Spirit falls on them. And that's that's really what you hear about speaking in tongues, okay? and But, but, but I think that's a good kind of framework, you know. Jesus tells them in Acts 1, you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the world. The Holy Spirit falls on Jerusalem, on Samaria, Gentiles, ends of the world, and then these folks here in, in Acts 19. All right, so back up. Significant, significant in the story of the church is the conversion of Saul. That's in Acts 9. So Saul becomes a Christian. Saul was a Christian killer, and he becomes a Christian in Acts chapter 9, and uh, God changes him, uh, calls him Paul, blinds him on the Damascus Road. He becomes a believer. And then uh, Saul and Barnabas team up in Acts chapter 13, and they set off on the first missionary journey. Okay, let me read you that. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them. After fasting and praying, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. First missionary journey from the church at Antioch. They, all, they go off. They, they go preaching the gospel at all these places. They come back to Antioch, give a report, okay? That's the first missionary journey. You've got the second missionary journey happening in Acts 16. Oh, 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 let's not go there yet, though. Okay, Acts 15, important, important. Acts 15 is what's called the Jerusalem Council, okay? So, gospel goes to the Jews. All right, now, okay, put yourself, put yourself in, the, in, the, in the mindset of a Jewish person, okay? What have, you, what have you known all your life? Okay, the promise came to who? Abraham, and to his descendants. And I'm a Jew. The promise is to me. And so when you, when you, when you, when you realize it's Jesus and the Messiah has come, all right, you're like, all right, yes, it's, it's for us, okay? You're not real happy about the rest of the world, all right? You just think it's for, for the Jews, right? Well, what God does is at Pentecost, he, he shows, okay, it's for the Jews. And then in Samaria, he shows it's for the Samaritans. And then with Cornelius, he shows it's for everybody, okay? But not all the Jews were happy about that. They were not all getting on board with that. And, and, and so what many of them were saying was, you can't become a Christian if you become a Jew first. Okay, so you, got, you become circumcised as a sign that you're in the Abraham, you know, you're, you're one of Abraham's descendants. You're, you're a Jew or a proselyte to a Jew, and then you can come to Jesus. All right, so the Jerusalem Council is basically Paul coming back, Paul and Barnabas coming back and saying, look, here's what's been happening all over the world. Peter, you saw it. And so they have this council, this church council, okay? 
And uh, here's here's the end of Peter's speech. Uh, um, verse 10, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So Acts chapter 15 kind of nails down. Salvation comes by grace through faith. Okay? And, and the church is clear on that. Salvation comes by grace through faith. Now, they're still going to struggle the rest of the New Testament. There's still these folks that we call the Judaizers. And they would come in behind Paul and they would say, well, you know, Paul told you you can be saved by grace through faith, but really, you got to be circumcised too. You got to become a Jew. You got to follow the food laws. You got you to do all this other stuff. It's Jesus plus. Okay? But Acts chapter 15 nails down no, it's Jesus alone. It is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So Acts 15, critical. Uh, because it's the Jerusalem Council. Acts 16 uh, begins the second missionary journey. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have a little falling out over John Mark. Barnabas takes John Mark. Paul takes, uh, who do you take? Silas, right? Yep. Paul takes Silas. So that second missionary journey, they come back to Antioch in Acts 18. Uh, then he goes again to Ephesus and then uh, pretty, pretty crit or other places. C critical is Acts 22. Paul is arrested. He's bringing a uh, uh, a donation back to the church in Jerusalem, and he's arrested in the temple, falsely accused. Um, he goes through a trial with uh, Felix and Festus, and and then they he appeals to Caesar. He appeals to Rome, and so they take him to Rome. He's in a horrible shipwreck. Uh, he survives. Uh, everybody survives because of God's promise. Uh, he makes it to Rome, and the book of Acts ends with Paul sharing the gospel from a prison cell chained to a Roman soldier in Rome, okay? But, through which, by the way, he wrote several of the rest of the new books in the New Testament there. Now, so that's Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of the incarnation, the kingdom, the cross, and the resurrection, okay? Acts tells the story of the church. Now, the rest of these, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 2 Peter, 1 2 3 John, and Jude are all telling the, 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 the story of the church from the, the standpoint of letters. Okay, They're letters. 13 of them are from Paul, and then you've got uh, uh, some from James, one from James, some from Peter, some from John, Jude, nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. Um, and then you've got the book of Revelation. Okay, key people in the church, Paul, Peter, James, Barnabas, Luke, Timothy. And now, you got one more in you? Here we go. Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection, church, and second coming. All right. Now, here is my goal for second coming. I wanted to do, I'm just going to be honest with you. I wanted to be so vague that none of you could get pinned down on end times theology stuff and ask me a bunch of questions, all right? So uh, I thought this out very hard, and you'll notice I avoided the entire book of Revelation in the verses I gave you. Wasn't that skillful, okay? Uh, so second coming. So what's going to happen? Jesus is going to return. Matthew 24, 36 through 44 talks like it's just going to be just like the days of Noah. Right? People are going to be marrying, giving a marriage. Bam. Christ's going to return. Split the skies. Okay? The saints are going to be gathered to him in the air. 
then I know, depending on what you believe, they either come back down. Anyway, uh, okay, Christ can come back, saints are gathered, dead are raised, okay, judgment, eternal damnation, the loss, saints live in the new heavens and the earth, okay, heaven, hell. That is the shortest version of uh, the second coming you're ever going to see. Now, for those of you who like to do a little bit more in your book, I just didn't want us to get bogged down because I, I know you guys and you would. Uh, in your book, uh, I don't know if this will be helpful or not, but do you see this? The end of the world as we know it. Okay, so if you're a uh, if you're a dispensationalist, okay, if you like uh, the whole uh, what is that guy Tim LaHaye? Is that is that his name? Uh, no, is that right? Uh, what what are those books called? Uh, Left Behind, yeah. If you like the Left Behind series and you're a dispensationalist, then you're clear over there on the right. You're a premillennial dispensationalist. Um, I do not follow that uh, myself, but you sure can. You, that That's your track there. Uh, you may be a historic premillennialist. That's the other side of that. Uh, then maybe you're post-millennialist, millennialism, or that's the middle one, and you got uh, the... Uh, the uh, historicist on the right and the preterist on the on the left, and then maybe you're an amillennialist and got the classical and you got the preterist. Depending on what you mean about what you think about the kingdom, about uh, what the millennium is, what the tribulation is, when Christ returns. Uh, you know, the cool thing is everybody agrees on the end of the on the on the bottom. Okay, believers go to the eternal state of the new heaven and the earth, and the unbelievers go to eternal judgment. Isn't that great that we can agree on one thing? There's one thing on this whole chart that all believers agree on. Okay, so wherever you are there, you can, huh? Two th What's that? Hey, he's coming. Yeah, okay, there, yeah, he's coming, and then everybody ends there, right? All, it's all that middle stuff that everybody struggles with. So, And I know you, some of you guys have real strong opinions about that. So, Do you have any questions about what we talked about today? Uh-huh. Okay, so um, the next day was a holy day, and so they wanted to get them off there before before the sun went down. Um, that's the, on the Jew in the Jewish mindset. The next day begins when the sun goes down uh, to some degree. So usually they hadn't died yet. It, the crucifixion was brutal and long. Okay, so they're kind of pressed because they got a holiday. <laughs> it sounds really horrible, doesn't it? And so. Uh, so what they would do in crucifixion, if you hadn't died yet and they wanted you to die pretty quick, they would break your legs. If they broke your legs, you didn't have any ability to hold yourself up. When you're being crucified, basically you suffocate. Okay, so so you got, you know, nails driven through. So every time you push up, incredible, incredible pain, that's the only way you can get a breath. Okay, so, so here you got these people that have been on there for six hours and they're pushing up to gasp for breath, but they're still alive. So they break their legs. They've got no ability to push up, and so they just suffocate quickly. When they came to Jesus, he's already dead. Okay, to make sure he's dead, they took a spear and they they thrust it up into his 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 rib cage or below his rib cage and into his heart, and blood and water flowed, which was a sign that the fluids had already separated. He was dead. And so, but the reason that's significant is because the Old Testament talks about that not a bone will be broken. So I, I just pointed that out because um, that's a fulfillment of prophecy. So good, good. What else? Yes. 
um, Rome was big on crucifixion. Uh, the Romans, uh, Romans perfected it. It actually, I think it came from the Persians. I think it's who started that. Um, but, but the Romans had it down to an art. Whenever the Romans wanted to make a point, that's what they did. In fact, there was a, a rebellion that happened in that, that 400, uh, uh, years in between Malachi and Matthew, you know, that we talked about there, there is no pro, there wasn't any prof, prophecy or any biblical books. There was a, a big rebellion and it really ticked off the Romans. They, they defeated, they crushed it down. And so to make a point, they, they, they took all these, these rebels, they rounded them all up and they, they, they strung them down the road, one of the primary highways all the way down and they crucified them. So just imagine going from here to Oklahoma city and yeah, yeah, and you're you're just seeing corpses, you know. That's yeah. The Romans were really good at. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't believe. No, the Persians would not. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, because that's interesting. Because Isaiah fifty three very very clearly. Uh, but I, I don't I don't know if they had another form, but but not to my knowledge. I don't know if anybody else knows the answer to that. We don't know that from the scriptures. Um, we we do get hints at the end of the Gospel of John that uh, Jesus is telling Peter that you're going to die that way, uh, you're going to be stretched out. Um, but church history tells us that Peter uh, requested to be upside down. Um, so as not to die as his Lord did. But that's not in the Bible, but it is church tradition. Oh, when, when, the, when the signs, when the curtain is, is torn and, the, and it says the graves were open to the people. Yeah. Somebody asked me that the other day. They were like, well, did they go back in the grave? You know? And I was like, you know, that's one of those things that I don't know. I don't know how that works, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a sign. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Like, you know, you're walking. I, what what the, the question that was asked to me was, did they continue to live their life? I don't think so. I, I just think that, no. I, I think it was a sign. You know, it was a Kind of like um, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear, they don't stay, <laughs> you know. I mean, they, they go back. So that, that's the way I look at that, you know. It just really would have been real odd, you know. I mean, Uncle Ernie's back, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with him, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Jack. Yeah, yeah, if you want to, yeah. Luke 16 is where you get the picture of Abraham's bosom. If you're interested in that. Yes. That that that's you're getting over into the revelation disagreements there a little bit, but
Um, like in Philippians, in 2 Corinthians 5, Philippians uh, 1, it's very clear that when you die, you go to be with the Lord, okay, with the Lord. But you don't have your resurrection body yet, and there is not the new heavens and the new earth. So you're in, I guess we could call it paradise with the Lord, okay? And But but there's more coming, okay? The, the end, when the end comes, that's when the new heavens and the new earth will be, and you'll have your resurrection body, and you'll, you'll live out in the, the new heavens and the new earth. And so paradise with the Lord. Um, I'll get it for you. Okay, so Philippians 1, um, 21 says, For to me to live is Christ, to die is game, and to find to live on the flesh is fruitful labor for me, hard press, and my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That's 23. So Philippians 1, I would say Philippians 1, 20, 21, 22, 23 would be key there. And then if you go into 2 Corinthians um, Five, Paul says uh, in verse six, Second Corinthians five six, we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Away from the body, home with the Lord. That was Second Corinthians five, six and seven, six seven and eight, six seven and eight. Good question. All right. You guys practicing? Creation fall for you? Yeah, got that? Okay, tell God's story. Next week, come back. Um, I know we finished in, as far as this part, but please come back. Uh, next week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to use this, okay? Because that's the point, right? We don't want to just have the information. We actually want to use it. So we're talking about how to use this. What are some different ways that we can use God's story, tell God's story? And then what are ways that we can communicate the gospel Simply and effectively. And I'm going to give you a bunch of those. Going to have another packet of information for you. Um, again, our goal is for you to be equipped so that when God gives you the opportunity with your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, family, friends, whoever, wherever they're at, okay? If, they, if they're a person that grew up in church, they know the story, but they just not submit themselves to Jesus, we want you to be able to jump in there and encourage them to put their faith in Christ, okay? But maybe you're going to meet somebody, they don't really know anything about the Bible. I don't know much about it at all. Then went to church. I, I've heard of Jesus. Let me tell you the story, you know? And you'll be able to, in however much time you've got, whatever's appropriate, you'll be able to tell them the story of redemption, hook that into a gospel encouragement call to, to faith, and, and hopefully God will do something awesome, huh? Right? Okay. Uh, by the way, Michelle made you some other good deals. I, ha I haven't been drawing your attention to all these, but I want you to look through here. She did. A, she put a lot of work into this. Um, she's got. Um, um, some of you are wanting. Uh, you were mentioning Jessica. You mentioned about that it, about his bones being broken. Um, I think she has a uh, prophecy deal in here somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. Crucifixion forecast. Okay, so Psalm 41.9, a close friend will betray him. Judas be betrays Jesus. He'll be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That's in Zechariah 11, 12 through 13. Jesus receives 30 pieces. Sheep will scatter. False witnesses who remain silent. He'll be mocked, beaten. He'll be given vinegar, gall. He'll die among criminals. Uh, his clothes will be divided. Enemies will insult and mock him. He'll be the object of scorn. Uh, God, will, God will forsake him. He'll be buried with the rich. So you got a bunch of prophecies there. Um, you have, uh, 
You got a map with the three missionary journeys on it. Okay. You see where Paul went. Uh, you've got a, a deal about Jesus, who is Jesus Christ, fully human, sinless, fully divine, Messiah. Gives you scriptures there. Um, under the incarnation, you've got uh, the genealogy map. Okay. So Michelle worked hard. I just want you to see that. I want you to use those. Those will be helpful to you. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your great story of redemption. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we can be a part of that by faith and by, by trusting you, uh, trusting in your sinless life, your, your kingdom life, uh, your, your crucifying death, your glorious resurrection, um, your offer of salvation by, by us trusting you, putting our faith in you. God, I pray that we'd be able to tell the story. God, make us effective. Give us opportunities. Uh, to tell your story in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks for coming, guys.